It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start today's program like we start every program. Three big things, things I think you need to know about as you go through the course of your day. Big story number one, of course, breaking news on Friday. No surprise to anybody who follows the wild and wacky world of President Donald Trump. Reince Priebus out as the chief of staff. Reince Priebus, of course, local boy made good from Kenosha, former chairman of the state Republican Party, who um, from that became the head of the Republican National Committee, was responsible for a lot of stunning successes that Republicans had over the years. Um, Reince Priebus, to the surprise of many of us, took the job as the White House chief of staff. Essentially, the chief of staff is the gatekeeper, the person who is supposed to rein in access to the president, keep the wheels of government moving, all those different types of things. It was a surprise to many of us that Reince did this because, well, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, let me see if I could put this kindly, he is his own chief of staff. I I don't think that there's anybody who reins in uh, Donald Trump, now President Trump. He's just kind of his his own guy. Um, He tends to be erratic in that, I think a lot of policy is shaped by whoever the last guy is that talks to him. He tends to operate by management structure of what I would call the the chaos theory. In other words, um, I think he, he likes to be surrounded by controversy. He likes to pit staff members against each other. His modus operandi, just witness what he's been doing with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, is to publicly berate and belittle the people that work for him. Loyalty really doesn't seem to matter that much, except loyalty at least certainly is a, is a one-way street. You have to be incredibly loyal to the president. Um, he, on the other hand, will turn on you when he seems to be in his interests to do so. Priebus was always something of an outsider as well, because even though he's well-known in Washington circles and certainly is well-known and well-liked when it comes to establishment Republicans, Priebus was one of these guys who was, in large part, because of his job as the chairman of the Republican National Committee, he was kind of on the sidelines. I mean, he, he wasn't an early Trump supporter and as somebody who was trying to make sure that there wasn't an electoral disaster in November, he was one of the guys who issued kind of cautionary tales. For example, and something that apparently Trump was never able to either forget or forgive, um, Priebus was one of the people who publicly suggested that after those Access Hollywood tapes, you know, the one where Billy Bush and Donald Trump are on the bus and Trump is talking about how he can have every woman he wants and all he, he does all these different things, um, Priebus is somebody who suggested that maybe Trump should step down. And Trump never forgot it, never forgave it. So it's always been kind of a rocky marriage to begin with. There were reports that Reince Priebus was a, a micromanager, and some people were, were criticizing him from the beginning, to which I have said repeatedly, especially when you have a mercurial president like President Trump, you need a micromanager. You need a chief of staff that is running from meeting to meeting, um, trying to see what different people are doing and trying to keep the agenda on track because, again, you've got a president who is – I don't know, erratic might be too strong a word, but who just kind of bounces from thing to thing. And, of course, Reince Priebus was never able to get a handle on the the Trump habit of waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning and grabbing his phone and then sending out 
whatever stuff he wanted to send out for his various Twitter followers. So um, it was very apparent that Reince Priebus was on his way out after the new communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, who looks like he came from central casting out of the, the TV show The Sopranos, decides to call up, presumably with the blessing of President Trump, to call up a reporter for New Yorker magazine and go on an obscenity-laced tirade. We talked about this Friday, um, where he goes after Reince Priebus. Every third word is the F word. Talks about how he's going to you know, have Priebus fired. He goes after the other advisor, Steve Bannon, and says things that are just um, anatomically impossible that I just couldn't figure out a way to even describe on, on the radio. And this is the director of communications for the White House. The director of communications for the White House is off on these profanity-laced tirades. But it was very apparent, and I, I said this yesterday, I said this on Friday, that by the end of the day, either Scaramucci would be gone or Priebus would be gone because you would not do something like this without the blessing of the president. And clearly, Trump had given Scaramucci the blessing, his blessing to go and you know, say all these different types of things. All right, big story number one. Priebus is gone. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He's now been replaced by one of the generals. Um, Trump apparently likes dealing with generals. The general has no political experience at all, no experience managing government, no experience dealing with Congress. But, of course, if, if you're a general, you know, you do... Um, have a way of imposing discipline. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think it makes any difference at all who is in that job. I think whether it's Kelly, John General Kelly, or whether it's Reince Priebus, or whether it's my producer, BD, it doesn't matter because it is in, the job of a chief of staff is to direct the staff and to rein in the president i think it is impossible to rein in president trump and my guess is six months from now the current um chief of staff is going to be in the same position that reince priebus is going to be in i don't think this is going to make any difference at all i do not think it is going to improve the operation of the white house at all because again i think what's happening here is you have a president who, unlike perhaps any president in American history, operates on the chaos theory. He loves to, uh, again, pit aides against each other. He loves to have people screaming at each other, and he has essentially no loyalty towards the people that work for him. You put all that together, and I don't think it's going to make any difference who the chief of staff is. Will things be different with a new chief of staff? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think so, but what do you think? We discuss next. It's 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Eight forty five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Dan on our text line. I look forward to the day Scaramucci talks about General Kelly the way he talked about Priebus. It will be a very unpleasant experience for him. Yeah, that 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 will be interesting. You know, next time that uh, this Anthony Scaramucci again, a guy who looks like he came out of Central Casting for The Sopranos and talks like he came out of Central Casting for the show The Sopranos, decides to call somebody else and go off on an obscenity related tirade about the current chief of staff, John Kelly. 
Um, you can just see Kelly marching in and just cleaning the guy's clock. Here, here, here is the problem, and it's why I, I don't. I always thought that that Reince Priebus it was a bad fit, and I was kind of surprised that he took the job. Other than the fact that up until President Trump, I always believed that if the President of the United States calls you and asks you to serve your country in a particular capacity regardless of whether you really want the job or not, that the only answer that a, a true American should give is yes, sir. I, I just I, I believe that all along. I have started to rethink that particular position because what you're seeing now is there's a lot of there's a lot of vacancies in the Trump um, in the Trump administration. And, and here we are seven or eight months into it. And it's not necessarily because Congress is slow to confirm them. There's all sorts of jobs, tens, hundreds of jobs that just aren't filled because people aren't applying for the jobs or because quality people aren't applying for the jobs because they don't want to work. Um, in this, they, they just they think that the Trump administration is going to end badly, or they think that they're going to be put in untenable positions. Witness Jeff Sessions, you know, witness Reince Priebus. I mean, I was talking to a guy not that long ago who um, there were at least some initial feelers made to him about whether he wanted to serve as an ambassador. And under normal circumstances, he would have jumped at the ambassadorship where it was. Doesn't make any difference. But you know, after consultation with some friends and family, he just decided, no, I, I just don't want to go down this route because you don't know where this whole thing is going. And that's what Reince Priebus got caught up in. And here, here's the bottom line of this. I want this presidency to succeed. I, I, I do. I want the country to succeed. But part of the problem is that in order for this to succeed, it can't just be you know, a, a White House that's nothing but, but a series of bomb throwers. You need people who can establish rapport and relationships with Congress. You need somebody who knows how to get things done. And candidly, that comes from the top. And when it comes to government, I, I'm not convinced at all that President Trump knows that yet. Reince Priebus, um, Reince Priebus gave him a, at least some liaison and some understanding and some connections, you know, with Congress, um, and and that's now that's gone, and and that's part of the overall problem. You know, health care. Everybody's blaming John McCain for being the decisive vote against health care. What happened last week is there were two female senators, Republican senators, Susan Collins from Maine and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, who both voted no as well. Murkowski was signaling early on that she had some problems with this, so the Trump administration's response was to have the Secretary of Interior call up a Republican senator and essentially threaten her that if she didn't get in line and vote, um, what would happen is uh, Alaska would come out on the short end of a bunch of stick on the stick from a bunch of policies for the Department of Interior. That's that's just not how you deal with things. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? I think that nobody wants to work for a loose cannon whack job that they believe that he is, and that they don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, what they say they're hired for a job. Uh, for advice or whatever, and they don't know if that's going to be good today and bad tomorrow, or mm-hmm. or what. I, who wants to work for a guy like he's a loose cannon? And I think he's getting to be more wacko as, as time goes by. And 
people don't want to work for him. Well, and, and because I mean, I mean, you look at what's going on with with Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, who who I I met in another life, and who's been a conservative Republican senator, you know, and he's been about as loyal a guy to Donald Trump as you can imagine. I mean, and, and here, you know, you've got Trump gratuitously taking shot after shot at one of your most earliest and one of your most loyal and influential supporters. I mean, it, it's who needs this kind of stuff? Life is too short, Mike, you know? It is. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, that's that's part of the aggravation that's here. And, I, I mean, I, I hope... I hope this is going to change things. I, I do, because th- there needs to be some way of reigning. And I understand that the, the Trump fans out there say, well, let Trump be Trump. Well, the problem is letting Trump be Trump doesn't work when it comes to, to governing. You know, we have a system of checks and balances that are set up in this, this country. And it might be fine if you are the head of, you know, of a closely held family corporation where you can essentially be the dictator and you can fire people and you can sue people and you can do all this type of stuff. Well, all right, as the president of the United States, you you have to work with other co-equal branches. You have to figure out how to get things done. You have to figure out what is, what would be the phrase? Oh, yes, the art of the deal. But that means that you can't alienate people right and left and you can't have people that just simply don't trust you. And that's where we are right now. Candidly, I, I always thought, I, I, I always appreciated Reince for taking on this particular position because I believed it was an unwinnable sort of situation to be in. And, and maybe John Kelly will be able to do a better job. But my prediction is six months from now, there's going to be some other blow up. And my, my guess is that before the Trump administration is over, you're probably going to be changing chiefs of staff like a lot of people change their underwear. All right. Coming up next, big story number two. What do we do about North Korea? Stick around. It's 851. It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. This is a beautiful stretch of weather. Hope you're enjoying it. Out with one division rival and in with another. The St. Louis Cardinals are next up on the Brewers' homestand with a three-game series beginning tomorrow. Bob Euchre is back in the booth to begin our coverage at 6.05, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Yeah, um, today is the trading deadline. Was it 2 o'clock or 3? BD, is it 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock our time? Do you know? 3 o'clock our time, you believe. Yeah. Um, my advice to the Brewers, what should you do? Uh, I'd say do nothing. I, I, I mean, here, here, here's the bottom. Look, I'm a huge Brewers fan, and, and I think... I think they have been overachieving this season, but but here's the reality. And I think they're they're they've got the nucleus of a really good team, but it's a team that needs seasoning. They're not coming up with clutch hits, and I don't necessarily think that that's a lack of, of talent. It's just it takes people a while to figure it out. They've got a good nucleus of talent. The truth is. They are probably a year or two away from being a serious contender. I mean, and I'm talking about a serious contender, not maybe eking into a one-game playoff for the wild card where you get dropped. But, I mean, a serious contender. And and they've got that nucleus that's there. This is my analysis of it. Um, you know, I, I watched and listened to all three games in the Cubs series. Entertaining baseball. But as much as it pains me to say this, the Cubs are up and down the line. Right now, they are a better team. They have better performers. That's just the reality. They have better pitching. They have more clutch hitting. They have people who've been in these situations before. And you're not going to be able to bring in one player 
that is going to change that dynamic. And right now at the trade deadline, it just doesn't make any sense to me to give up you know, some of your top prospects to bring in somebody who's probably really not going to make a difference. Now, if you can get, for example, a starting pitcher that's going to be with you and be a performer for the next three or four years, that, that's a different equation. But this isn't necessarily the time to do it at the trade deadline because you, you overpay. So I guess my reaction would be, look, the, enjoy the season. It's a great ride. It's a good young team that's only going to get better. But the truth is, and I hope I'm wrong. Look, I hope they go and, and run off you know, 18 wins in a row. I, I really, I do. But one player isn't going to make any difference one way or the other for that. Um, they are what they are. And so I hope that they just, that if the trading deadline expires, that that's going to be good. I think they're, I think they're in pretty good shape. Okay. Big. St- oh, and by the way, coming up in, in just a couple minutes, a sheriff, a county sheriff has blood on his hands for everybody who thinks this idea of sanctuary cities. Oh, let's not cooperate with immigration is a good idea. I've got a story about that. And Chris Christie gets into it with a fan at Miller Park. That's all coming up in the next hour. Big story number two, North Korea. Um, Over the last few days, North Korea has launched another missile test. And according to military experts, based on the trajectory of the missile, North Korea now has the capability to send missiles that will, will hit the west coast of the United States. Um, In response, the U.S. has now been, um, again, sort of gaming out scenarios. And what they did is they um, ran a a test over the Pacific and the Korean Peninsula on Sunday um, where they had bombers flying over the Korean Peninsula after this test. The idea behind it was to send a message that, hey, if you do anything, we are prepared to respond. Um, this is an indication, and in the fact that North Korea is apparently developing this long-range missile pa- capacity um, is really a kind of an undercover story, and it's a huge threat to world peace. Um, president after president after president have repeatedly said that they were not going to allow North Korea to be in a situation where it could threaten the continental U.S., and this is... Now the continental U.S. is, I think, probably definitely threatened. So here you've got the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. She says, okay, we're done talking about North Korea. Um, China is aware that they must act. Japan and South Korea must increase the pressure. It's just not a U.S. um, problem. You know, she's absolutely right. This is one of the sternest tests of the Trump administration, at least when it comes to foreign policy, because you cannot allow this country to be threatened by the madman that is in North Korea. Big story number two, what is going to happen if China does not get involved? I'm afraid the next step is some form of military retaliation, and that won't be good for any of us. So China's got to get involved. Can they? Don't know. Big thing number three is coming up, and then who thinks it's really a good idea not to deport illegal aliens? Stick around. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Big story number three, the morning after or at least a couple days after, is Foxconn still a good deal? Now, 
the big news at the end of last week was the fact that Foxconn, this giant, giant international company, announces that it is coming to Wisconsin to build a plant that will be the first plant of its kind in the United States to make these LCD screens. It comes with a lot of attention. Foxconn, of course, says that they are willing to make an investment of 10, B as in billion dollars, in the state. Um, of that $10 billion, the estimates are somewhere between 6 and $7 billion initially will go to Wisconsin companies because they're going to construct this giant campus and this giant plant. And, of course, you're, you're going to need you know, people that are going to build that facility. And you're going to need roads and you're going to need infrastructure. So it's not just the 3,000 or 5,000 or up to 13,000 jobs that Foxconn might bring over the next 10 to 15 years. But it's also the influx of of other jobs, again, building the roads, building the facilities themselves and the companies that make the materials that they're going to use to build the things. I mean, it's a huge it is a huge potential game changer. Now, Foxconn. Um, has a history. They they operate in China, where they pay very very little in wages. So they're they're kind of like a company shop um, where people live on campus and live in the dorms that they have. That's not going to be how it operates in the United States. There's also a situation where a few years ago, apparently they announced that they were building a much, much, much smaller plant in Pennsylvania that never materialized. So you have some people saying, well, we're we're kind of skeptical about this. There is also the politics of this story. Governor Walker is going to be announcing that he is running for re-election as soon as the budget gets done, assuming that the budget does, in fact, get done. I think Governor Walker was always going to be very, very difficult to beat. The political reality, and this is not lost on some of the Foxconn naysayers, is that this deal probably, probably guarantees Walker's re-election. This is a huge deal. Walker will be able to run as a job creator. He will be able to run as the guy that landed what would be the white whale when it comes to an international business coming to Wisconsin. And, of course, you heard the Foxconn chairman saying, uh, you know, his description, I'm paraphrasing just a little, he said that Walker is unlike any other leader that he's ever met as far as his persistence in trying to bring jobs. This, to the extent that Walker was ever vulnerable, and I don't believe he was, this is politically, it's a game changer as well. And the people who continue to suffer from anti-Walker derangement syndrome, they understand that too. And so it's been interesting to watch a lot of the commentary over the course of the last couple of days, particularly out of the, the Madison press, because the, the folks out in, in Madison who under normal circumstances would be jumping up and down over the chance to land something like Foxconn, they're the ones who are now trying to throw cold water on it. And, and I think you, you can't you got to realize what's going on here. They recognize that this is a huge, huge, huge boost to Scott Walker. And so now the argument is, well, you know, what, what about this with Foxconn? You know, the local newspaper that was an unabashed cheerleader for the downtown arena project for the Bucks. And look, and I supported that at the end of the day. But that downtown arena project for the Bucks, let's be honest, isn't going to have anything, 
anything as far as economic impact like Foxconn is going to do. There's all sorts of studies out there that suggest that building a new arena really doesn't inspire economic development. It kind of cannibalizes it. So, yes, you build the new arena, and, yeah, you're going to have shops and stuff and bars that grow up uh, right by it, but it's going to come at the expense of the current bars. I don't know if that's the case or not, and I support it. I think $250 million to build the new downtown facility to keep the bucks here. I think it was a good investment. But let us also be honest. It pales in comparison, pales in comparison to what Foxconn can and will do as far as creating jobs. You know, the Bucks Arena, do they create some jobs for the people who are building the the facility now? Yes, of course it does. It it does. So it has an economic benefit. Moving forward, is it going to have a huge benefit? I I don't know, but I think it's something that's, that's good to do. But... It is interesting to me, like I say, the local newspaper, kind of real wishy-washy. Well, maybe this is going to be good. Maybe this is going to be bad. Well, okay, you, you can't, it seems to me, support the new downtown arena and not recognize that this Foxconn project, while more more expensive, admittedly, is also, this is something that's directly creating jobs and bringing jobs here. But it's been a couple days, and you have a number of people, like I say, particularly in the Madison area, over the weekend, recognizing that this is going to be a political win for the governor, who apparently are so unhappy that Walker is going to get credit for this that they're willing to say no. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, it is now, figuratively speaking, the morning after. Or, if you want to be exact, it is the Monday after the Foxconn announcement. People have had time to process this. People who had time to think about it. Is it still a good deal? Would we rather be waking up this morning and reading about how Foxconn was going to Detroit or somewhere else in Michigan? Or are we happy that it is coming to southeastern Wisconsin? Um, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is an interesting story off the editorial page in the local newspaper today about how you know large and small companies are going to benefit. It's just talking about how all the companies around here that supply stuff that Foxconn will buy are going to be winners. All right, a couple days after. Are you having a hangover? Are we going to come to regret this? Is this the party? And then the next morning you wake up and go, gosh, I can't believe we've done this. Or is this something that really, the more we reflect on it, is going to be a game changer for the state of Wisconsin? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, this is one where it is unfortunate that some of the people who have the Walker Derangement Syndrome are so blinded by their dislike and hatred for Scott Walker that they can't realize how good this is for the state. That's my take. What's yours? 414-799-1620 is the number. BD is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in a moment. It's 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. It's the Monday after the Foxconn announcement. Anybody having a hangover about this? Are we overpaying John and Mazemani on 620 WTMJ? Good morning. 
Good morning. Now, no, I don't have a hangover about it. I, I think it'd be a great thing if it all comes to fruition. And um, I do think uh, it's going to be a great boon for Scott Walker. And uh, I'm sure he's, I would bet money that he's going to win again. I generally have not favored a lot of his policies, but you have to be realistic. The other thing that's important to remember, though, is uh, it's one thing to project all this stuff, but then we'll see what happens. And, again, I hope it works out. But uh, there are some of us that remember there was a, a carbon fiber airplane was going to be built in Superior, Wisconsin, which is, in fact, a depressed area. Mm-hmm. And it was going to bring 600 jobs. This is about six, seven, eight years ago it started. With a big announcement and so forth, Weedex threw money into it, Superior threw money into it. Guess how many jobs are there now from Kestrel Aircraft? It never happened, I assume. It never happened, yeah. no. Spent okay, a lot but, of money. But let me give you the flip uh, side, John. Let me give you the flip side. Um, okay, Mercury Marine. Remember when Mercury Marine was getting oh, yes, ready to close its plant? Yeah. So, I mean, it you know, right. it, it goes both ways, I guess. That's what I'm saying. You have to be realistic. Hopefully it'll work out, you know, but... Uh, it, it's it's a gamble, and it it always raises a question to me: uh, when you invest taxpayer money mm-hmm. in the private business, when there's so many other things we have to do. And I understand the trickle down effect and so forth, and I just hope it works out. But uh, there's always a big risk. Well, there yeah. right, and, and I guess you're right, and uh, to an extent. But the the truth of the matter is. And I, I, I've always kind of bridled at the phrase corporate welfare because I, I don't know exactly what that means. The, the truth of the matter is you have to – let's take the Bucks Arena. And, and, look, I get the argument that you've got billionaire owners, you know, who are paying millions and millions of dollars to a handful of athletes. And so the question is why should the taxpayers, you know, invest a dime in building this facility? Well, the truth of the matter is they have to do that because if you agree that there is a value to having an NBA team, for example, in your city, you have to make that kind of commitment because if you don't do it, there's other cities that are going to. You know, you can say, okay, we're not going to bid on this. We're going to let the bucks move. But do you want to wake up one morning? You know, do we want to wake up one morning and say the Brewers, you know, you didn't build Miller Park, so the Brewers left. Now, I understand that there's some people who say who cares about that. But in general, I think most people would agree that southeastern Wisconsin in particular and and Wisconsin in general is better off because we still have Major League Baseball. I, and, and we wouldn't have had it. So I guess that's the same sort of way that I analyze this. Yeah, there's all sorts of ifs, and, and I understand that things can always happen. But if you look at other deals that other states have made to bring companies in, um, that they've paid at least as much per job and maybe more. Not maybe in a total outlay, because this is a big, big deal. But... I think the state needs to protect itself and to say, okay, you're not going to get the tax breaks. You know, we're not going to advance this money unless, you know, you deliver on your promises. And I think you can structure a memorandum of understanding like that. But I just think it is exciting, exciting for the state. And again, it has the potential to be the game changer. Now, you're right. If we break ground on wherever the location is ultimately chosen, it's probably going to be somewhere in Messina or Kenosha County. And um, a year from now, 
it's an empty hole, or two or three years from now, it's an empty hole, and there's no jobs that have come here. Well, right, then I guess everybody can say, I, I told you so. But I think you have to go into these things, while you go into them with your eyes open, you also go into them with a sense of, of good faith, believing that this could, if this, in fact, works out, like it's been touted, like the Mercury Marine deal did, like Amazon did, this has incredible potential for the state. And you just have to, I think, proceed and, and move ahead and hope that the company is going to operate in good faith. And I'm hearing all the things, well, what about if some of the jobs are later automated? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen 20 years down the road, but if you tie the incentives into how many jobs this is creating, it's a good thing. And the truth of the matter is, if Foxconn says we're investing $10 billion and close to $7 billion is going to be going to Wisconsin-based companies to help build the facility, you're already ahead on points. I was reading a story in the Chicago Tribune over the weekend how people in northern Illinois are jumping up and down because even though the plant is being built in Wisconsin, they're, they're seeing the, the effects of this as well because they think that there's going to be people from northern Illinois who are going to be driving up here to to work at the plant. You know, that's okay. I I don't mind the region doing well. When the region succeeds, we all succeed. And if Scott Walker gets credit for this, well, you know what? Maybe Scott Walker deserves credit for this. It's 924 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, Chris Christie gets into it at Miller Park. Stick around. Jeff Reckner, 620 WTMJ. It's back. Cream Puff Apalooza. This year, we're giving the new guys, Scafidi and Bill Stett, the chance to hook you up. Join Scafidi and Bill Stett Wednesday morning, beginning at 6 a.m. in State Fair's North Lot. That's the one right in front of the Pettit Center, just to the south of the freeway. They will be handing out a six-pack of cream puffs to the first 300 cars that enter. It's the 2017 Cream Puff Palooza, bright and early Wednesday morning, starting at 6 o'clock with the Wisconsin State Fair and 620 WTMJ. BD, who's producing the show today. I did that for about five or six years, um, and it was really, really cool. I would get there. It's back when I was my shift was noon till 3 instead of 8.30 till, till noon. Um, becomes a bit of a challenge. I, I loved it. But I would get there about 5.30 in the morning, 5.20 in the morning, and there would be lines of cars all the way through the State Fair parking lot and all the way down on 84th Street. People coming from all over the state to get a six-pack of cream puffs. I just... And I would, I'd, we'd had a couple of different car lines. I'd bounce between the car lines, just talking to people, giving out the cream puffs. I love it. It's cream puff of Palooza. I am very glad that we, we being the stations, doing it again. Even though I can't get out there because, again, it's tough to be out there at six o'clock in the morning and then get back and do the radio show at eight thirty. But the Scafidi and Bill Stett will be there. Say hi to the guys. Um, first three hundred people get a six pack of cream puffs. And um, again, my advice is. Get there early because based on my experience in years past, they go quickly. In addition, in addition, this is, of course, the unofficial start of the State Fair. The Wisconsin State Fair, one of my very, very favorite times of the year, starts on Thursday. And this year, I don't know if it's fair to say we're going to have more live broad programming from State Fair than ever 
but we're going to have more live programming from State Fair than we have in quite a while. Um, I'm going to be doing my show out there. We start off at 8.30 in the morning. We'll be having our first beer check, you know, seeing, you know, how, how many beers are we seeing with people having at 8.30 in the morning, um, and then Scafidi and Billstat, and then John McCure, and then the appropriate sports centrals as well. So uh, if you're coming out to the State Fair, be sure and stop off. I try to come out during the breaks and say hi. I love the opportunity to meet you, so come by our mobile broadcast facility um, if you are out at the State Fair. All right. Governor Chris Christie, the outgoing governor of New Jersey, very, very controversial figure, was one of Donald Trump's earliest supporters, and that did not work out well for him. Um, He's now almost a governor in exile. He's had a number of different problems in New Jersey, and I think at one point in time, very, very popular. He's now kind of on his way out. Chris Christie has always been a lightning rod. He's a guy who's very in your face and who just speaks his mind, which is good and it's bad. His son apparently works for the Brewers. I did not know that, but apparently his son works for the Brewers. He's at the Brewers-Cubs game yesterday. What happens, and this was captured, one of the Channel 12 reporters sees this. What happens is he's he's walking down to his seat, and there's a Cub fan who starts heckling him. So he walks past, and the guy yells, Hey, Christy, you suck. <laughs> and so at which point in time, he stops. And he turns around and, and he goes back and, and he gets in the Cub fan's face. And in response to being told that, that he sucked, he the Christie then says, Hey, you know, have another beer, you know, or something like that. And then the guy says something back to him and then um Christie says, Hey, you're a tough guy and then he turns around and starts to walk away and the guy starts screaming at him again, yelling, Hey, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. And again, this is captured and nothing happens. They don't get into a fight or anything like that. But this is captured by one of the reporters from Channel Twelve, apparently has his cell phone out. Now that cell phone video is there. They go and they interview this Cubs fan afterwards, and he says well, yeah, I, I yelled at him. Um, I, I admit I, I told him he sucked, and I screamed at him that he was a hypocrite. I, I think it needed to be said. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who's the jerk here? Who's the jerk here? Is it Chris Christie who's taking in the game? He's walking down the aisle, and you've got this leather lung guy who's yelling at him, You suck. You're a hypocrite. Is it Christie for turning around and confronting the guy? Um, and actually, I mean, he did walk back and he confronted him. Or is it the guy for yelling at Christie in the first place? Who's the jerk here? The Cub fan? Christie? Or I guess both of them? Or neither of them? Is this just modern discourse? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Name the jerk. 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so yesterday, new outgoing New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, he's in Milwaukee, he's taken in the Cubs-Brewers game. His son apparently works for the Brewers. All right, so he, he's he's heading down to his seats, and there's a Cubs fan um, whose name is Brad Joseph, who starts screaming at Christie. And th- this is the way the Cubs fan described it. When he was initially going up the stairs, I yelled his name. He was already quite a bit past me, and 30 feet away, I yelled his name again. Christy, Christy, and I told him that he sucked. <laughs> okay, so he's at the ball game. Christy walks past him. He's screaming, you suck. Um, he then starts screaming. I called him a hypocrite. 
because I thought it needed to be said. He then turned around and walked towards me. This is the governor. Got in my face for about, seemed like, 30 seconds. Um, Christy um, said, uh, then asked the guy, hey, you know, um, want, you know, you want to do something? You want to start something? Um, why don't you have another beer? Um, the Cubs fan says, he was yelling at me. First he said, why don't you have another beer, which I thought was a decent comeback. Then he started calling me tough guy, and then he walked away. All right. And so now there's a reporter from Channel 12 that's got the cell phone and they have the video of the last few seconds of this. And this story has gone viral. All right. 414-799-1620. Who's the jerk here? Is it Christy? Is it the Cubs fan? Is it both of them? Is it neither one? Let's start with Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, first of all, I'd like to say right off the top that I am staunch Republican. And that I, I thought when Christy took the beach after he closed it, I thought, could you think of a, something more stupid to do? Right. <laughs> when he, he, right when, but right, they, because New Jersey was going through a budget crisis, so this, they shut down the beach. He had a house, like the, one of the governor's residences was there, so he's on the beach when nobody else can get there. Right. I agree with you. Incredibly dumb. Bad optics. Okay. Now, the band was the jerk. I'm not sticking up for Christy. No. The band was the First of all, he was in from Chicago. He comes to our house. First of all, and, and second of all, it's not even his government. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. sorry. Your, your cell phone's cutting in and out, Brian. But you vote the fan was the jerk. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Randy in Franklin Grove, Illinois. Randy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Who was the jerk? Uh the Cub fan. And I'm a Cub fan. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think. Christy was out to enjoy himself, yep. and you ought to leave him alone. If he, well, I guess he would catch this stuff wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. But you're going to back the poor guy into his house, and he's going to have to sit there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He now, couldn't go out in public. Now, the Cub fan says he's a public official, and this is America, and I think we have the right to say what you believe as long as it's not crude or profane. So he thinks that he has the right to stand there and scream, Christy, you suck, um, at, at the ball game because Christy's a public official. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Uh, a ball game is not a political arena. Yep. Yeah, and he's not giving a no. Thanks for call. And, and Christie's not giving a political speech. You know, it, it's not like this guy has showed up to hear that, that Chris Christie is is making a political appearance, or you know, he's um, I, I don't know making some announcement. He's just there. It's presumably on his own time. I don't think he was introduced to the crowd. He's just taken in the ball game, and you've got this guy that's there that, that's yelling at him. Now, it's interesting to me because the Cubs fan says, well, he's a public official, and this is America, and I think we have a right to say what you believe as long as it's not crude or profane. My comment to Brad Joseph, Cub fan, is, as I frequently say, you have a right to do something, but it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. Now, I've, I'll be the first one to acknowledge that, you know, Chris Christie brings a lot of this stuff on himself. But at the same time, um, this, this guy's, it's the Cub fan that's the jerk. I, I mean, I'm sorry. He's on his own time. 
Christie is there. It's not a political thing. And, and yeah, I mean, look, he's from New Jersey. I can expect and his style is kind of an in-your-face thing. I'm not surprised he got back and, and, you know, didn't take that. But, I mean, look, the guy's on his own time. You know, if you were to see, I don't know, you know, pick, pick a politician, Jim Doyle. Herb Cole, whatever, you know, and, and you had somebody screaming, you suck, you suck. I, I would say the same thing. I would think that the person that's yelling them, there is a time and a place for everything. And, yeah, I think that you're being the jerk here. Let's see on our text line. No Cub fan should insult anyone in our house. Um, uh, Christy should have shoved the beer in the putz's face. Another show of disrespect from a Cubs fan. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to lump this into all Cubs fans, but I mean, I think this guy was a jerk. Okay, Andrew says they're both jerks. The Cubs fan shouldn't have said anything, and Christie should have been above it and not responded. If you don't have something nice to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. Um, I just. Um, let's see another vote. They're both fans. Fans for heckling Christie while he was down there. Christie for ignoring him. You know, let it go. Well, okay, Christie isn't going to let it go. But yeah, that I start off. I look at this, and, and yeah, I understand that this is the story. And candidly, you know, out in New Jersey, this might increase his popularity level by a couple points, even though he's not running for re-election again. But yeah, I'm looking at this story, and uh, the, the Cubs fan is obviously very proud of the fact that he did it, and. I'm like, all right, pal, you know, you, you got your five minutes of fame, but really, you want to, like, scream at an elected official? And, yeah, I have all sorts of issues with elected officials, but if I see somebody, if I see Tom Barrett, you know, who's walking to his seat at the Bucks game, am I going to scream, you suck? Of course not. Of course not. Anybody with a modicum of class doesn't do that. And this particular Cubs fan, now nah, he gets my Jerk of the Weekend Award. It's 942. Coming up next... For anybody who thinks sanctuary cities are a good idea, I've got a story I want to tell you about, and we're going to discuss it. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner. 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As Foxconn comes to southeast Wisconsin, how do residents of Kenosha and Racine counties feel about the possibility of losing their family farms and their homesteads? John McCure explores at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. How should they feel? There's one word, thrilled. Because the the property value of their land, what, what are they estimated somewhere around seven grand an acre, and they're probably going to be able to get like fifty thousand dollars an acre. It is a windfall, a windfall for people. And I understand some folks are going to say, "I don't want to move," but um, most people, I, I tell you, uh, the sting of having to move is going to be greatly reduced by getting a ton of money. Uh, during the break, we had one person call who actually said that they sat. A couple rows behind Chris Christie at Miller Park on Saturday night. Now, this incident happened Sunday, and caller was saying Christie was just a perfect gentleman. Uh, people would come up and shake his hand and was talking to him and um, said he was just a perfect gentleman. Yeah, this was, uh, if you want to find the jerk in this story, it's, uh, it's the Cubs fan. What a surprise. Okay, there's a lot of talk about sanctuary cities, and it, it's, it's arguable what that means. But essentially, last week, the Trump administration said that any city that declares that it's got a policy where, number one, it will not allow federal immigration authorities access to jails. Okay, that's category number one. You won't allow federal immigration people access to jails. So a local community arrests an illegal alien. Okay, the the local community decides not to cooperate. Okay, that's a criteria number one for sanctuary city. Criteria number two is any city that declines to give 
advance notice to immigration before it is going to release an illegal alien. That also would be a definition of sanctuary city. So in other words, you arrest someone um, and you determine that they're in this country illegally. What happens typically is there's this process called a detainer. That's where you say, hey, we've arrested this guy who's in this country illegally. He's been deported before. Um, We've arrested him for whatever. And you tell immigration that. And then what immigration does is they put a hold. They issue what's called a detainer. And the detainer says, if the guy or gal is about to be released from your custody, city of Milwaukee, notify us first. Hold him. You notify us. And then we'll decide whether we're going to come get him and start deportation procedures. But don't release him until you give us notification. Well, the Trump administration is saying, number one, if you don't allow federal immigration people to have access to the jail, and number two, you don't tell us before you're going to release illegal aliens, well, what we're going to do is we're going to deny you, um, we're going to deny you various federal grant money. Now, that's become a challenge for Rahm Emanuel, the, the godfather mayor of Chicago. He said, well, we're, we're, we're still not going to do it. And if it costs us grant money, it costs us grant money. We're not going to cooperate. Portland, well, actually, the entire state of Oregon, and per- Portland in particular, is, is a, a sanctuary state slash sanctuary city. Matter of fact, in Oregon, it is illegal for cities to use their resources to help enforce federal immigration laws. Matter of fact, Portland prides itself on being a sanctuary city. Uh, Multnomah County, that's where Portland is, and their sheriff wrote a letter to the community back in March saying, get this, the sheriff's office does not hold people in county jails on immigration detainers or conduct any immigration enforcement actions. So in Portland, they brag about the fact that if we arrest somebody, if we have somebody who's in this country illegally, we are not going to cooperate with federal immigration officials. All right. The phrase that comes to mind, four words, blood on their hands. Here's the story. A Portland man, accused of brutally attacking a 65-year-old woman, has a history of arrests, at least 20 deportations, and was released by local authorities in defiance of a federal immigration hold. Sergio Jose Martinez was taken into custody a week ago today on charges that include robbery, kidnapping, burglary, and sexual abuse involving two victims. Martinez allegedly assaulted a woman in the basement of a parking garage while armed with a knife. The woman kicked him in the stomach and pressed the the panic button in her car, and Martinez fled when authorities arrived. He has been a transient in the Portland area for more than a year. He has five probation violations for re-entering the United States. Immigration officials lodged a detainer against him in December of 2016, asking local authorities to notify them before releasing him. However, he was released into the community and immigration was not notified. 
Uh, detectives are also able to connect Martinez to another assault that occurred blocks away. He allegedly entered the woman's home through an open window, used scarves and socks to blindfold her, tied her up, gagged her, and sexually assaulted her while slamming her head into the wood floor. The woman told police that Martinez left with her keys, cell phone, credit cards, and stole her car. She was able to reach a neighbor's home to call 911. Prior to being admitted into jail, he was diagnosed. He was treated for a meth-induced psychosis, according to court documents. So here you have somebody, 31 years old, who has been deported on multiple occasions, keeps coming back, commits crimes, and continues to be released. And even though there is an immigration detainer placed on him, the idiot authorities, and yes, I use that word idiot, the idiot authorities in Oregon decide as a matter of public policy, we are not going to cooperate with the federal government in order to allow them to, again, take into custody this illegal alien who's been deported for multiple occasions, who is responsible, or at least allegedly responsible, for committing sexual assaults and armed robberies. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit, I am somewhat unclear as to where Milwaukee stands in this, because the county board has declared itself to be a sanctuary. We're we're a sanctuary community. Uh, The sheriff doesn't pay attention to that, and the local corporation council says, well, regardless of what the people on the county board say, you know, we, we still cooperate. But after having heard this story, it just defies belief that any community Chicago, Portland, anywhere in Wisconsin would not cooperate with immigration authorities. What possibly do we gain by taking somebody who has been deported on multiple occasions, who is being released, which is the first question, why would you be releasing an illegal alien who's committed all these various crimes, being released into the community? Why would you do that without notifying federal immigration authorities? Are the streets of Portland safer because this illegal alien was turned back loose to rape and plunder? 414-799-1620. If there's ever an argument against this whole concept of sanctuary cities, th- this is it. And if it takes the federal government pulling the plug on federal grant money to get some of these cities to cooperate, I say pull the plug. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. Is any community really better off because local authorities don't cooperate and don't honor immigration holds? It's 953. This is Jeff Wagner. 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some are calling the $3 billion incentive package for Foxconn too high a price for Madison law, too high a price for Madison lawmakers to have promised. Do you agree or is it worth the investment? Scafidian Bill Stat, want to hear from you, 135 this afternoon. Barb in Whitewater. Barb, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I, I am well. I'm glad, I, I'm sorry this happened, but I'm glad it happened in Portland instead of Milwaukee. Can you imagine the victim here? Yeah. Um, About this, um, the the people who say they're not going to uphold the... uh, Right, not cooperate with immigration, yep. They aren't stupid. They're arrogant. Yeah. They are past 
They're beyond stupid. They're yeah. arrogant. They think that they know everything. And I think it is extremely wrong, if I could use immoral. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're allowed to say you that. You can say immoral. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you. Yeah. That's, that's casting um, dispersions on their character. Exactly what I want to do. Um, no, I don't have anything else to say. I no. just think it is really immoral. It is totally wrong, and they are arrogant, and they shouldn't be in a position to be able to make those decisions. Well, right. I mean, again, this is it's pandering to the worst elements, the the, the worst parts of, of the community, and I, by that I mean worst parts as far as this political thing. Politically, you have people that believe this country essentially we should have open borders, and the open borders should be we, we we shouldn't have immigration laws, and if people want to come into this country and they want to stay, they should stay, and we shouldn't care who they are. I mean, that's the driving agenda. No, no civilized country in the world has open borders. Now, I understand in Europe you've got, you know, the, the European Union and you've got you know, some movement back and forth. But, you know, no, no country in the world just opens up its borders and lets people come in. But regardless, that's not even what this discussion is about. This discussion involves people who have come into this country who have committed serious crimes who have been deported, and then who are back in this country. And we are making, at least in some of these sanctuary cities, the idea that we are we are not going to cooperate with federal authorities to let, you know, to let them do their job. So what happens? Well, we turn loose this dangerous illegal alien. He goes out. He sexually assaults one woman. He attacks another woman at knife point as part of an armed robbery. And, you know, all because... They did not cooperate as a matter of public policy with local, with the federal officials. All right. Well, I guess if the, this is the way that, again, the city of Portland wants to run its business, fine. If you want to have blood on your hands and you want to put your citizens at risk, well, that's the, uh, that's who's voted for you. But as far as the federal government continuing to support you by giving you money for crime prevention, sorry, I think you forfeited it. It is 9.59. When we come back, well, a lot of good stuff, including the ongoing conversation about the future of health care. Be careful what you wish for. You might get it. Stick around. It's 10 o'clock. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. The news late last week was the stunning failure of the U.S. Senate to advance anything that had to do with either repealing Obamacare or replacing Obamacare. Uh, Friday morning, 1.30 in the morning, I think our time, John McCain, together with two other Republican senators, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and Susan Collins from Maine, um, all three voted against what was essentially a, a stopgap sort of measure, which would have allowed the Senate to continue debating, you know, repeal and replace Obamacare with the House. They just voted no, uh, McCain casting the decisive vote. So health care reform right now, dead. Um, the president says, well, I want to revive this. Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader, says that there's just nowhere to go. It's dead for the time being. You know, we don't have any sort of agreement. And I think, candidly, they are going to move on. Now, let's review the bidding in health care. The vast majority of people get their insurance for health care through their employer. The second largest group are people who are on Medicare, 65 and older. The number of people who signed up for Obamacare, it's about 10 million. 
I think this year. I think that was the latest number I saw. Now, 10 million is a lot of people, but it it pales in comparison to those other two numbers, the people on Medicare or the people who get their insurance through private employers. My big, and I will be the first to acknowledge that pre-Obamacare, there were problems with the health care system. The most dramatic problem, I think, was, again, pre-existing conditions. What do you do with that person who has been insured through, for example, their employer for 15 or 20 years? They get a diagnosis of cancer. They lose their job, and then they can't find affordable insurance. Right? That, that is an issue, and I don't deny that. But instead of dealing with those problems... What we did with Obamacare is we essentially blew up this entire system. We really kind of killed the private insurance market. And on top of that, we imposed all these different requirements on um, insurers and employers that, hey, you know, if you're going to offer an insurance policy, it has to be this, it has to be that, it has to be this, it has to have all these type of coverages. And that, in my opinion, is one of the things that drove up costs. So we we had issues. But... Instead of just dealing with those issues, what you did is you took a sledgehammer to drive in a thumbtack, and the result is all these various problems that exist now. The essence of what has happened with Obamacare is that not enough of those 10 million people that sign up, not enough, the whole idea with insurance is spreading risk. You have people who are healthy who are paying into the system, Um to pro- in in order to protect themselves should they suddenly become really sick. And you need a whole bunch of healthy people paying in so that the people who are sick, you know, when they, when they need to have their medical expenses covered, there's enough money that's there. The problem is, of the 10 million people that are signing up on Obamacare, there's not enough healthy people paying in to cover what the sick people are taking out. And so there's massive losses. Um, the government provides subsidies to you know help people pay their premiums but the subsidies aren't enough so you have insurers who are dropping out of the markets and, and next year it's going to be even worse there's going to be some states where there's no insurance companies that offer insurance at all right now in many many areas of the country including places in Wisconsin there, you don't have a choice between different health networks. There's one insurer, and that insurer has cut a deal with uh, Aurora, for example. And I don't mean to pick on Aurora, but and that's it. So if you want Freighter, you're out of network. You're out of luck. If you want uh, Ascension, you're out of network. You're out of luck. That That's the, the deal that they have made. So you haven't been able to keep your doctor. You haven't been able to keep your hospital. You haven't been able to keep your health plan. So you've got this problem with Obamacare. And now, now, given that there doesn't appear to be any concept as to how you're going to reform or replace it, the only solution that some people, particularly on the left, have is to say to the taxpayers, to us, we need to pay a ton more. What we need to do is give huge subsidies to the insurance companies, pay even more than we're already getting to offer them the incentive to continue to offer plans to cover these 10 million people. So that's the, the, the solution that the left has is pay more and more taxpayer money in order to get the insurance companies to, to stick around. Um, for those people who are in Obamacare, 
I, I know the frustration. And I mean, we, we've, I've talked to several of you over the time, over time. You know, it used to be pre-Obamacare, there were various insurance companies that were out there and they would compete for your business. And you could go around and you could shop for health insurance just like you shop for car insurance. You know, you could go out and say, okay, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is the type of protection I want to have. And a guy who I talked to the other day who said, you know, it used to be, you know, he, he's getting treated for cancer. Um, the plan he used to have, the Mayo Clinic was in was in network. He could go there. He's now he's stuck in Obamacare. The plans that are available to him don't offer Mayo Clinic coverage. So now he's paying out of pocket to try to go there. It's it's that type of stuff. So you've got again this problem that Obamacare is failing, and unless we are willing as taxpayers to commit huge huge amounts of money, it's going to get worse. All right now. Let us switch gears. There are a number of people who believe that this was foreseeable and that actually the failure slash collapse of Obamacare was planned because the goal all along has been to try to bring us into what's called the single payer system or essentially Medicare for all. Now, the way it works, if you're 65 or older and you qualify for Medicare, um, and again, there, there's, there's, you have, there's, Medicare doesn't cover every, cover everything. So there are like the Medicare Advantage plans, you know, that cover other things. But the basic Medicare, everybody is treated the same way. Everybody over 65 um, qualifies for this, and the government is essentially the, the insurer of, of choice for Medicare. The government sets what insurance companies are going to pay. And, you know, everything, again, is run through the one system. Medicare is a form of single payer. There are a number of people who now, including a lot of folks in Washington, who are viewing the collapse of the repeal and replace as a, an open open season on now saying universal health care, which means Medicare for all. Matter of fact, there's a number of Democrats in states Democratic senators who are in states that Trump won um, in the elections last year who are going to be introducing legislation and running on a premise of Medicare for all, essentially do away with the entire private insurance system. So for not just the 10 million people who are on Obamacare, but every other person, if you get your insurance through your employer, you would no longer do that. You would just automatically, and I say automatically, you would you would be insured, and everybody's insurance would be the same. Everybody would be treated equally. Now, now that would cost. I mean, the estimates are just an enormous amount of money, billions of dollars, and so individuals would have to pay. For people who don't pay, um, what would happen? It don't have the money. You know, there would have to be huge taxpayer subsidies. Um, and employers, of course, would have to pay enormous amounts of money as well to fund this. But the idea would be, all right, there's no more difference. It's not like a person under Obamacare who has only one choice. We would all have the same number of choices, however that would be. That's the whole concept of single payer. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of the Democratic leadership up until now have not wanted to push for this so-called universal health care, the single-payer concept, because 
they don't think the American people are there yet. Do you, and, and here's the real question, it's not just for the people under Obamacare, it's for everybody else who again gets their insurance, the vast majority of people who get their insurance through their employers. Do you want to give up that system? Do you want to go to the one-size-fits-all system, understanding that you would pay more for your health care, your employer would pay more for the health care, but that you would have essentially the, the same as everybody else in the country does? Are we ready for single-payer? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jimmy Carter says... He thinks, what's the story I'm looking at, that we're, we're going to be going to a single-payer health system very, very soon for a variety of reasons. I think it would be absolutely disastrous. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1019. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I'm the first to concede that the previous health care system had problems. But rather than dealing with rather than dealing with what really was the problem, which was, all right, pre-existing condition coverage, people who lost their jobs, who couldn't find insur- affordable insurance, we blew up the entire system. By blowing up the entire system and creating this new entitlement program, it doesn't work. And we're seeing how it, it's not working, and it's only going to get worse unless, I mean, the only alternative is you've got people on the left saying, oh, let's just increase the taxes, let's pour more money into it, let's give it to the insurance companies so they can continue to have incentive to offer these plans. That, to me, isn't a reasonable answer. But if the alternative is having the government take over, essentially saying Medicare for all, I don't want that either. I think it would be disastrous. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, I've, uh, I'm against the single-payer uh, payment plan. It's taking the marketplace out of the uh, equation. And I've got friends in Canada and Toronto and stuff like that. If they need an operation, they opt to pay to go to the U.S., to go to New York, right. get an operation done right away. Right. Uh, instead of waiting like six months or whatever, or they might die before then. That sort of thing. Yep. But but uh, on the uh, other hand, uh, also prescription drugs. You know, uh, we have to get some kind of uh, legislation to get this under control hmm. to get these drug uh, costs under control. Well, that's my thoughts. Well, no, Mike. See, look, see, and actually, you touch on what to me is the key problem here. It, it it's not. It, it's you, you cannot talk about the insurance sector without talking about. The, the spike in health care costs. So whether you're talking about the prescription drug things, I, I go on a tirade every time I see a new hospital building project or, you know, the, the state-of-the-art hospitals with all the fancy bells and whistles opening up three miles from each other um, because hospitals, you know, want to be competitive in a particular area. Um, well, th- that's great, except that's all the stuff that is driving up costs. I was watching this thing on the Internet of all places, you know, about, you know, the, the way hospitals billing is, where you you know, there's a, I don't know, there's a, a plastic and IV bag that you could get for 58 cents that they're charging $81 for. To me, that's the cost element of this I- entire thing. You know, we've got a couple of people on our text line who are saying, well, you know, no, it, you know, everybody deserves health care, not just the people who can afford it. Oh, okay, well, all right, it's one thing to say, all right, people deserve health care. It's another thing to say we're going to blow up the entire system 
So nobody gets health care. I mean, you look at what happens in some of the countries that have this single-payer type of system, and it's exactly what you're talking about, Mike. You know, you have the wealthy people who bail big time because they don't want to have care rationed. They don't want to have to wait 16 weeks if you've got a kidney stone and you're peeing blood. You know, they don't want to wait four months to begin their cancer treatment. They don't want to wait a year to be seen you know by some doctor to determine if they've got skin cancer and that's what happens in these countries that have this they end up rationing care and again I it's not a question of should people be entitled to have access to health care yeah I, I get that it's a question of how you do it and the reality is you know you can do it without essentially nationalizing or going to single payer Bob in Burlington Bob you're on 620 WTMJ good morning uh, good morning. See, I just wanted to make the comment that anybody who really thinks this is a wonderful idea to go to single-payer or essentially nationalized health care ought to go live in a, another country or countries like I have and uh, see what kind of care they get. Because one of, the, one of the key points is I think care declines. The quality of care declines sure. as well when you get the government involved, not just whether you can get it or not, but the quality. I mean, they stop educating as well they stop uh paying right because you, right, uh, you really have no choices yeah yeah you have no, no you choices have no choices right and the government controls everything and the government's going to try to cut back costs and they're going to do it by by right. uh controlling the quality of care that you get yeah you don't get under single payer in general you there's no guarantee that you're going to get to see the doctor that you want i mean nowadays you know, even with the problems with the, the the health system six years ago, you know, most people could still choose their doctor. They could keep their doctor. And look, and I, again, you know, we, we've blown up this entire system because, you know, there's 10 million people right now signed up for Obamacare. The vast majority of those people were insured or could have been insured under the old system. So for a relatively small number of people, we have turned the entire health insurance system on its, you know, on its tail. And, you know, we're going to continue to take bigger steps. I, I don't know. I get insur- insurance through my employer. I, it's, it's, it's a good it's good. I think most people like it. And for people who, again, are struggling a little bit, I don't have a problem with helping them out, but don't take everybody else's insurance away from them. Well, it's just not losing the insurance. It's it's what happens right. four or five steps down the road when, right. when all of a sudden health care declines in its yep. quality. Right, and, and uh, it's rational. I've experienced that. I've lived in other countries under nationalized health care, and it's horrible. Right. It's it's just not acceptable. No, thanks for calling. That's like our previous caller, Mike, was saying. I mean, take Canada as an example. If, if For anybody who thinks that, gee, you know, you nationalize, you go to a single-payer system, and that's going to solve all these problems. It, and, no, because what's going to happen is you're going to have a number of physicians who are simply going to opt out. And what they will do is they will be providing the, the services to the, the wealthier people. And you're going to have like this two-tiered type of system because, again, you've got the a multimillionaire, okay, a multimillionaire under a single-payer system who has a, I don't know, uh, let me use the example of a kidney stone. So you've got the kidney stone, you're in pain, you're peeing blood, 
and you know you're told well it's going to be four months before you can see somebody well okay I'm you know it's like okay no I, I'm not going to be running a fever and dealing with this for four months I want to see somebody tomorrow well okay I'm sorry but that's what your wait is going to be all right somebody who's got money what they're going to do is there's going to be the second tier system there's going to be doctors who don't participate in this a- at all and the wealthier people are going to go to them because they're they want to be seen the next day or two days from now you're still going to have this two-tiered system and i think more and more of the better doctors are going to say well okay we're we're not going to we're not going to participate in this see single payer is to me it's the lead in to again just completely nationalized socialized medicine and does anybody think that that would really be a good idea this is the direction that we are going just saying President Carter says he thinks it's going to happen. You know what? There's a lot of Democrats who now agree with him. Um, I'm going to tell you something. I'm kind of glad I'm sort of aging out of this. I'm closer to Medicare than I want to admit because um, I, I feel bad for the 20 and 30-somethings who might get stuck into and lose insurance through their employers because I don't think they're going to like it. It's 1029. <laughs> Ten thirty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. It is back, Cream Puff Palooza. This year, we're giving Scafidi and Billstadt the chance to hook you up. Join the guys Wednesday morning, beginning at six a.m. in State Fair's North Lot near the Pettit Center. That is always fun. I did it for years, and you get there about five thirty, and there's just cars all lined up. Um, starting at 6 a.m., they will be handing out a six-pack of cream puffs to the first 300 cars that enter. It's 300 six-packs this year. It's the 2017 Cream Puff of Palooza. It's bright and early Wednesday morning, starting at 6 with the Wisconsin State Fair and 620 WTMJ. And as I've been saying, I, I, I love I love the fair. Um, we're going to be broadcasting live. I'll be out there uh, every day, every weekday of the fair. 8.30 until noon, so stop by the fishbowl, say hi. I try to come out during the breaks. It's always a great opportunity if you're out at the fair for us to hook up. Enjoy doing that. All right, right before we move on, I get this text saying, oh, it's hypocritical of you to say that, you know, you're glad you're closer to Medicare, you know, when you don't think it's right for everybody else. I, I don't think it's right for everybody else. I mean, here here's the deal. I want, in a perfect world, I want the system to be what it was before Obamacare. Most people getting their insurance through their private employers most people then being able to pick their networks being able to pick their uh, doctors being able to protect pick their hospitals and their health plans that's what i want i want the private sector the private system to be like the private system used to be where you could go in and you had insurance companies that were competing and you could go and you could sit down with your health insurance agent and you could develop a plan. You could see this is what I need and this is what I want covered and this is what I'm willing to pay for. And then for the other segment of people over 65, because the other, I mean, the employer, what the employers pay and what people who are working pay, they help subsidize Medicare. So that's one of the reasons Medicare is able to operate. That's what I want it to be. And for the people who might have been the relatively small number of people, relatively compared to the overall number of folks, the relatively small number of people um, who are priced out of the market, well, okay, then, then you work with subsidies helping them get the insurance they need. That's the system that I want to see happen. That's the system where, again, you know, it, 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 seemed, it seemed to work 
reasonably well, and then you figure out on the other end, the supply end, what you end up doing with the with the spike in health care costs, which unless you get a handle on health care costs, none of this is going to work. So, no, I don't think it's hypocritical at all. I am saying I feel bad for the people who um, are getting their insurance now through their employers, because if you go to a single-payer system, what you're going to find is your choices are going to be dramatically reduced. Similarly, I mean, the problem is going to be for people who are on Medicare now. I think if you end up going to this single-payer system, you're going to have a lot of uh, doctors who are just simply going to opt out of that system. So even people on Medicare are going to end up with lots of lots fewer choices. You could have dealt with the problems that we had in the healthcare system without completely and totally blowing it up, at least. And, and now there doesn't appear to be any sort of consensus on how to fix it, because in the history of this country, once you have an entitlement program, you, you can never go back. And so that's why you had the headlines, well, you know, if you repeal Obamacare or any other replacement idea, there's going to be X million of people who might be uninsured. Well, most of those people would be uninsured because they, they – the young people who choose not to carry insurance, um, which I personally think is a dumb choice, but that's how it goes. All right, let us switch gears. For those of you who might be new to the program, um, I, I have a couple organizations and charities that I, I spend time doing things for, one of which is Boy Scouts. I got involved, I was a Boy Scout myself, but um, I really got involved in Boy Scouting uh, a number of years ago when United Ways across the country decided that they were going to start defunding Boy Scouts over the Scouts policy regarding um, gay Scoutmasters. Um, that the, the United Way around here, the United Ways around here never took that position. But, you know, nationally, th- this was a story. And it, it bothered me because regardless of how you feel about that, that issue, I, it just, by, by defunding the Boy Scouts, it was... It was the kids that got hurt. I mean, the United Way decides, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to contribute money to some local, like, scouting organization, some local council. Well, all right, what that local council does is typically it, it takes the United Way money and it uses it to do outreach, to go out and find kids who might not otherwise be able to participate in scouting, and, and then they get to go to camp or they go to participate. It always struck me as being just a stupid, mean-spirited decision that did nothing but hurt the kids. So I, I started re- getting reacquainted with scouting, and I've done a number of fundraising things um, over the years. I, I still, one of the highlights of my year is every February I go out and I'm the master of ceremonies at the essentially Waukesha County um, for their, their Adult Volunteer Recognition Award and their Eagle Scout Ceremony. Matter of fact, I'm booked to do it again um, sometime next February. So I, I, I enjoy scouting. I'm a huge fan of scouting. In addition... Now, I, I used to do this more, but I still do it occasionally. I, I get asked to do speeches all the time. And, and nowadays, I'm, I, I say no to a lot of them, but I, I used to do this a lot. And there are various speeches that you give. There are, for example, if I'm asked to speak before the Republican Women's Club of Waukesha County, I, I mean, I'll, I, I know what they want to hear. They want to hear a speech of political analysis. That's what they want to hear. If I'm asked to speak before a Lions Club, th- that's different. If I'm asked to make some opening remarks at a, a Boy Scout award ceremony, that that's different. And I, I give 
different speeches based on on what the audience is because they're just all right for example it's just you know one group wants to hear red meat political stuff and you know one group wants to hear hey this is an adult recognition thing and look at all the great things people do and so i I have different speeches that i get now some of the stories might admittedly be the same but but they're they're just different speeches i'm not going to stand in front of uh, a ballroom full of you know 500 you know parents and kids in february and, and and talk about you know what i think the trump administration is doing or not doing or what i think about obamacare i'm not going to do that because it's just it's not the appropriate spot for that on the other hand Republican women of Waukesha or Washington County or Dodge County or whatever invite me out. Yeah, that's I know that that's what they're going to want to hear. So you give different speeches. At least most people do. All right. Last week, the big National Boy Scout Jamboree was going on. And um, the Jamboree is held in, in West Virginia. It attracts, oh, about 40,000 scouts scout leaders and scout leaders from all across the country. The Boy Scout Jamboree is a really, really, really big deal for people who are involved in scouting. So President Trump is asked to go address the group, and and he does, which is it's very, very cool that the President of the United States decides to go and, and speak to Boy Scouts because I personally believe that Boy Scouting represents that what they what it instills in young men is is what we should all aspire to i, I mean it, it talks about the ideals and the values and it teaches it teaches kids things that I, I think you know hopefully they will learn these lessons and take them with them their entire life all right so i i, I was thrilled that the president thought enough to go and speak to forty thousand boy scouts what happened though is when the president got there there was some talk about you know scouting and the values that scouting instills but essentially what president trump did was he, he launched into you know one of his political speeches the speech he gave in front of 40,000 boy scouts and boy scout leaders was in many respects not materially different than the presentation you know he gave in Youngstown Ohio in the middle of the week at a at a Trump support rally and immediately after he gave the speech there was huge backlash a lot of um, parents former scouts and others just irate at the fact that President Trump would go in front of the, the Boy Scouts and would start talking about his political agenda would be attacking Hillary Clinton, would be attacking Obamacare, etc., etc., etc. They were outraged that he decided to give a political speech in front of this particular audience to the point that the Boy Scouts, you know, had had to actually issue an apology, you know, saying, okay, you know, we, we are not a political organization. We don't endorse political candidates. Um, we are nonpartisan. We invited the president of the United States to speak, but we we don't you know condone you know what it is that he said. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, was the president, I, I guess, within his rights? Was this the appropriate spot for him to again give a campaign speech? 
launching into the political diatribe that, that he launched into. Is this what the kids wanted, or should it have been something different? It's created a huge controversy that now has put the Boy Scouts in the middle of a political battle that I think they didn't necessarily want to be involved in. All right, did Trump go too far in his speech? 414-799-1620. When we come back, I'll tell you what I think, and we will discuss. It's 1047. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1049, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Apple has now patented a way that you can secretly dial 911, and it might just be a life-saving advancement. Scafidi and Billstat have the details. Tune in, 235, here on WTMJ. Let's start with Steve in Whitewater. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, I'm well, thank you. Okay, President Trump turns this Boy Scout Jamboree speech into a campaign rally. Did he go too far? I Well, I think he... Uh... I won't say it went too far, but I think it went the wrong direction. He missed a great opportunity to uh, tell the kids to go out in life and do what they learned in the shouting and do things great for themselves and other people instead of making it uh, a political uh, arena. Let me put it that way. Yeah, no, and I, well, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was just, and, and again, as somebody who does a lot for the board, likes to think I do, a, I, I'm just I'm a yeah. huge fan of Boy Scouting. I, I, I just am. And you've got you. kids from all over the, the country that are there and their parents, and there's a diversity of political background. And th- this is, it's an opportunity to celebrate American exceptionalism and talk about values and things like that, not talk about, okay, how you're attending the hottest cocktail parties in New York and, and what a, you know, what a problem or what a louse your predecessor was. It's just, it's the, just the wrong time and place. Yep, I agree. I mean, if you, if you may want to talk about himself, I mean, we know the president. I mean, sure. I want him to speak. He could have even brought up how he succeeded, you know, in his private life. He didn't have to bring up Right. Washington, let me put it that way. Well, I'm right. Trying to be nice about it. Yeah, I mean, no, exactly. I mean, and, and you know what I mean? I, I was looking, I mean, I saw clips of the thing, and, you know, um, you know, he, he's talking about, I, I don't know, his campaign fight against Hillary Clinton. He's, you know, um, joking about, you know, firing people. He, he goes off on Jeff Sessions, you know, the, the attorney general. All right, it's, these, these are, it's a nonpartisan event. I, I guess, and not, not that anybody can control the president. I, I, I actually, like last week, I did something I rarely do. They were televising the campaign rally he held in, in Youngstown, Ohio. And, and I, I actually, I watched the entire thing um, dur- during the evening. And, I mean, it was a typical Trump campaign rally, but it was perfectly and completely and totally appropriate for what that audience was. They wanted the campaign rally. They wanted to hear about Obamacare. They wanted to hear about, you know, draining the swamp and all that type of stuff. But that's a different audience than the Boy Scouts are. Let's talk to Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How the heck are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, I think the speech, uh, you know, obviously was inappropriate. He's out there to talk about politics, but I guess my next question, and I understand you're a supporter of the Boy Scouts, and I am too. What, what did the Boy Scouts, or the leaders, whoever organized this, what did they expect Donald Trump? I mean, they didn't know that he was going to do this. <laughs> well, I mean, they invited the president. They invited the president. You know, they invite all the presidents. They, every president, you know, for the last eighty years has been invited oh, to speak. Yeah, you're, you're making an interesting point. We cannot apparently invite this current president. 
to certain events because he can't control himself. We've had 30-plus years of that, so that people are so surprised that this is the way he's... Are we still waiting for a pivot? Yeah, so you don't think it's going to happen. You think it was inappropriate, but it shouldn't be surprising, huh? No! <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I, have I, a good, have no. a good day. Thanks. You can't not invite the president. I mean... I mean, and I, and it's by the way. I mean, it's, the president does a great honor to go and address the, the this this group. I mean, it's. Um, I think he's the first. I I have to, I have to look as to how far back you have to go to see somebody that came there personally. President Obama, I know, you know, taped things or, or did it via teleconference or something like that. I, I'm not sure when. You know, the last president who actually went to West Virginia. Okay, um, it's here. Amy in Lake Geneva texts, Both of my boys are Eagle Scouts and both attended Jamboree. I respect the fact that the president was invited and attended, but I don't feel his remarks were appropriate for the audience. And that's that's kind of uh, the point. Let's see another text. Trump continues to exercise very poor judgment, and he gave a speech that fed his ego. What happens when he does the same thing during an, an international or domestic crisis? I guess I... That's the thing. I cringed. I cringed during this simply because I, I, I understood this was now the focus wasn't just going to be on the president. The focus was going to be now on the Boy Scouts. Okay, this is supposedly a nonpartisan, you know, organization, and, and here you you have the president just saying these things. Yes, I think they should invite the president, but I guess. Again, if I were the president, I would have gone to my speechwriters and said, you know what, I, I got this campaign rally coming up in Youngstown, Ohio. Here, give me all the red meat for that stuff, for the stuff that I'm putting out on Twitter. But I want I want to talk about character, and I want to talk about American values, and I want to celebrate the exceptionalism and the wonderful young men who are in this audience. Because it really, it should have been about them. It should have been about Boy Scouting, not about... Okay, you know, who's attending the hottest cocktail parties in New York? Let's see, on our text line, um, it will be hard-pressed to find anyone that will admit voting for President Trump 18 months from now. Don't know about that. Don't don't know about that at all. But clearly, there's a time and a place for everything, and I think the speech last week, it, it it was the wrong time and it was the wrong place. Just saying. It's 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in the next hour, it's getting tougher and tougher to be an anti-vaccine parent across the country. Milwaukee looking at dramatically loosening the sex offender residency requirements. And in just a few minutes, he may be, he may be the biggest jerk in the country. And no, I'm not talking about the president. Not talking about Chris Christie. He may be the biggest jerk in the country. I'll tell you who he is, and we'll discuss. That's coming up. It's 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, see, that's it. BD is producing the show. People can think about, got about seven or eight minutes to think about, who could be the biggest jerk in the country? And I promise you, we're not talking about the president. Stick around. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Stepped away for a couple minutes. Um, this is a very bittersweet day here at WTMJ. Um, Jim Gillis, 
who is a name that you are perhaps not familiar with because he's one of the one of the many 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 behind the scenes people who make this station run there's a handful of us who speak into the microphone on a daily basis but there's a lot of people whether it's the people who schedule the commercials or our sales department or all the administrative folks and uh, for the last 23 years Jim Gillis has been our voice guy and he's he's been and that that actually does him a disservice Jim has I just more awards than you can shake a stick at but he's the guy that sits and creates the commercials and and writes the copy and works with the advertisers and over the years has done a number of very very creative things if if we have played a locally produced parody or a song or stuff it it's probably it's probably something that Jim has created, and after twenty some years at the station, um, he's uh, he's stepping down. He's retiring, and we, uh, matter of fact, they've got a little party for him going on. Went over and heard the first couple minutes of his remarks. But Jim is uh, one of the handful of people now who's still here longer than I've been here, and he's just been a great guy and an, a huge asset. So, if you allow me to be indulgent for just a minute, Jim Gillis, uh, we want to wish him the best as he moves into retirement. He will be very, very difficult to replace. Okay, now. But, before the break, I threw out this notion that this this person might be the biggest jerk in the country right now. And I, I'm sure there were a lot of different names and faces that came to mind. But no, we're, we're not talking about the world of politics now. We're talking about the world of sports. BD, who's producing the program, do you know who LeVar Ball is? You ever heard LeVar Ball? LeVar Ball is, he is the father of... Of, uh, of a couple kids who are basketball prodigies. His oldest son, Lonzo Ball, is the he played at UCLA, I believe, and he he's the number two pick in the NBA draft. He plays for the LA Lakers, and he's got a couple brothers who are coming up who, who they say are as good as Lonzo Ball, maybe even better. Um, Levar Ball is he he's the ultimate soccer dad or baseball dad or in this case basketball dad he is very very controlling he is very very loud he's the one who said that you know his, his kid wouldn't play for anybody other than the la lakers um he, he's got a history of making outrageous statements he also coaches the, this aau team where he kind of puts together the the best players in the country and then they they go and compete and it's sort of a well to to say that it would be kind of a vanity project for him it 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 would be and he's already taken on a lot of different nba players you know talking about how his kids going to be the greatest in in the world and greatest player ever and clearly th- this guy i mean take take the worst soccer parent and then multiply it exponentially, and you've got LeVar Ball. All right, well, he coaches this AAU team, and the AAU team is playing this game in, it's it's called the, um, his team is called the Big Ballers, and he's got his own, he's got his own brand called the Big Baller Brand. And what he tries to do is he, he's the guy that's trying to work out the, the shoe contracts for his kids and, and things like that. So anyway, he's playing at his team, is playing in this AAU game Friday in Las Vegas. And he becomes upset because the, this is this, this tournament 
It's the Summer Championships Tournament in Las Vegas. So it's got some of the best AAU players in the country, maybe all of them. And it's run by Adidas. All right, so his team is playing. And the guy is a loudmouth. He, he, he just is. And he's screaming at one of the referees who happens to be female. So it's a female referee, you know, and there are female referees in in the NBA. Um, He's screaming at her. And what happens is at one point in time, as he's screaming at her, he she gives him a technical foul because I think lots of people give him technical fouls, at which point in time he stops the game and starts pulling his players off the court. Now, obviously, his players are, you know, one of the attractions. Adidas is trying desperately to sign his kid Lonzo, who now plays for the Lakers. Adidas is trying to sign his kid Lonzo to a shoe contract. So he's got that kind of leverage as well. So he stops the game and demands that the female referee be replaced in the middle of the game. In the middle of the game. And the officials, the Adidas officials who are running the tournament, they give in. They do it. They do it. They pull the official, who happens to be a woman, they pull her in the middle of the game and replace her with a male. Place her with a guy. He then goes off on on her. Um, here's what he says. He says, she's a woman who's trying to act. I get that she's trying to break into the referee thing, but just giving texts and calling fouls, that's no way to do it. I know what she is trying to say. I gave LeVar, I gave LeVar a tech. I'm strong. That ain't got nothing to do with it. Just call the game. If you're going to be qualified, you better be in shape, and you better know the game. And she's bad on both of them. She's not in shape. She's not calling the game right, and she don't understand. So now she's trying to make a name for herself, and she's walking around like, I'm the only woman here. Yeah, we get it. I don't care if you're a man or a woman or whatever. Just be good at what you do. So he essentially refused to continue the game until she ended up being replaced. Um, he's had other beefs with women before. He got into it with a um, one of the ESPN reporters a while back. A Fox Sports co-host, co-host Christine Leary, told her to um, that she needs to stay in her lane, and then. That's kind of one of the phrases that he now has, stay in your lane, which is his way of kind of putting her down. But in any event, Adidas, the officials, pull this referee in the middle of the game so the guy will continue to allow his team to play. And some of the conspiracy theorists out there are saying it wasn't just that. Adidas wants his kid to sign with them so they didn't want to upset dad. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this LeVar Ball, not for just what he did over the weekend, but in general, might be might be the biggest jerk in America nowadays. But all right, from a sports perspective, and look, you know, you there's bad officials out there. I mean, there you, I watch a lot of baseball, there's bad umpires that are out there. I get it. But he threatened to pull his team unless the official was replaced. Should Adidas have given in? Should they have replaced the female referee, or should they have just have forfeited the game? 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To tell you the truth, for anybody who cares about this type of stuff, I think it sends about the worst message possible that you allow literally the inmates to run the asylum. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. Should Adidas have given in to the guy's demands, pulled the female referee in the middle of the game, or should they just have said, see you later, um, come back next year? 414-799-1620. We'll discuss next. It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And if you happen to be somebody who you know, makes a living officiating you know, full or part-time some of these games, whether it's baseball or football or soccer or basketball, you know, what, what do you think about the organizers giving in to one of the coaches? Okay, we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And by the way, in this conversation, I take no opinion. I take no position as to whether this female referee that gave the guy the technical foul was right or wrong, was she good or not. That doesn't matter. That To me, that is not the issue. And maybe maybe she is no good. And, and maybe the people that hire officials should take a look and say, okay, well, she's not ready to referee at this level. I, I, that may be true. Don't know. Take no position one way or the other. I, I do know that just because you have a loudmouth coach who has some degree of clout complaining about her though you, you can't allow the inmates to run the asylum and i say shame on adidas for giving in to this guy who didn't like the way she was calling the game and pulling her at halftime that's appalling bill and oconomaw text what a fine example for the kids he coaches i've officiated for 24 years the game should have been forfeited and what does it say about adidas yeah that's the that's the issue and again she could be a bad referee i i get it but you get bad referees. You get bad umpires. The, the time and place isn't for a coach to say, I'm going to not play. We're going to pull my team off the f- court unless you change the referee. Well, okay, let them pull the team off the court. Let's start with, um, let's see, Bob and Mequon. Bob, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you. Um, I just, It's amazing to me that you would pull a referee in the middle of a game because a coach complains. Well, I think it's outrageous. I never refereed basketball, but in days gone by, I was a football referee and a baseball umpire. Mm-hmm. And if a team walked off the court or off the field in that type of situation, you would give them a warning and tell them to go back. If they didn't do so immediately, you would forfeit the game. Right. That's one. Two, where Adidas backed off and said, let them go out and play, I've gone... When this, when I heard this the other day, I called four of my grandchildren who are high school age and play sports, and asked them to please never buy a piece <laughs> of Adidas equipment again yeah. for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Well, again, it's. I mean, clearly, I mean, clearly, this guy was was the attraction. His team was the attraction. Adidas didn't want to lose that, and Adidas. I mean, again, I think Adidas is trying to land the kid. The 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 son for a shoe contract so they want to appease the father but it at some at some point in time you just can't give in to bad behavior and this was bad behavior terrible behavior now thanks for the call 414-799-1620 i mean everybody looks badness and here here's the problem you've got this guy who is a major league jerk who thinks because 
he's got some talented kids. God bless him. You know, he's got these talented kids that he can say anything, that he can do anything. And at some point in time, you, you do wonder whether anybody's going to stand up to him. And I feel horrible for this woman, this, this female referee, because it's not just he, he's not just, hey, she's not good. But then he throws in, you know, and she's a woman. You know, she's she's walking around here, you know, trying to pretend that she's something else because she's a woman. And again, I, maybe she's a good referee. Maybe she's not. I don't know. I don't care. You don't do this. Dennis and Franklin. Dennis, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my comment is that I appreciate uh, baseball, basketball, and football, including some of these AAU tournaments. The, the uh, city of Milwaukee, the Milwaukee metropolitan area, runs a big New York LA tournament, and I've appreciated in those types of tournaments. Number one, in any amateur sporting event or in any event, once an official is assigned to a game, he continues that game unless there's an injury. So uh, for them, for Adidas to pull this official off at halftime, I mean, they're just caving into some bad behavior. Yep. And uh, it's totally against protocol of all amateur sports or sports to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I, I just and and I guess I mean again, the only thing I can think of is they wanted to appease this jerk father for whatever reasons, because they wanted his team to continue to play in the tournament. The team lost, interestingly enough, or they want to sign the kid or his other kids or some of the players. But, I mean, what sort of message do you send by giving in to this guy? Well, absolutely. You know, all these tournaments, uh, whether it be uh, amateur baseball or basketball, there's a lot of money involved, and Adidas sure. doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. <laughs> right, so you you make yourself look foolish, <laughs> which is what think which is what they which is what they end up doing. And like I say, I'm I'm the first guy. I watch some of these major league baseball games, and I look at what some of these umpires are looking at. I, I mean, I think there's I think there's some, and I, I go to a lot of college games. And with all due respect, I I think for some guys there or and gals that the game is a little bit too fast for them. But but it's not like the, you you pull them off. But that's that's for the leagues to look at. That's for the leagues to assess. That's for the league to say, okay, who's doing a good job? Who's doing a bad job and if you decide that somebody's doing a bad job well okay you 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 get rid of them or you do whatever you do but you can't allow the coaches to dictate that al in union grove al you're on 620 wtmj good morning hi thanks for taking my call yes sir uh, i coached basketball for 17 years and hundreds of games and had two technicals in that time and i was wrong both times uh i i don't see the sense in this at all it seems to me that if you if you're unhappy with official, you do something after the game. You don't do it during the game, you know. And uh, it just shows the lack of character that this yeah. guy has. Furthermore, with Adidas supporting it, I agree with your first caller. I, I would I would think let's not buy Adidas shoes in if that's the way. You know, if they need that contract that bad, fine. But uh, right. they definitely supported poor behavior. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and and what? So now, what what are you saying to every talented kid that's out there, whether they're playing baseball or football or basketball or soccer or or whatever? Here, if you don't like a particular call, you just walk off the field or you pull right. your team off the field and, and demand it. I mean, that's just—it's a game we, we, for goodness' sake. We all have officials we don't like. That's sure, just the way the game goes. Well, sure, and some officials are better than others. I get that, but yeah. <laughs> but but you thanks, but but you you live with it. I mean, that's that's the thing. And and again, it's it's not just outrageous that this jerk did it because he's he's a jerk who apparently because he's got talented kids, um, you know, thinks he can get away with everything and do anything and say anything. Um, and, and maybe the kids are going to live up to the hype. Maybe this the oldest son is the next Michael Jordan. I I don't know, but I I, I do know. 
that actually you're probably not doing the kid any favor when the father is this much of a jerk. Um, USA Today had the story that a number of, of of like the NBA Referees Association, and of course the kids going to be playing in the NBA. They, they were just outraged at the dad. They're saying you just don't do this. I mean, it's a you know anybody who officiates is, is got to probably. I'm sure that again. I'm sure, and I I don't know whether this particular female referee was good or bad. I don't know one way or the other. But anybody who referees probably says this is just not the way that you should handle this. Chuck in Milwaukee. Chuck, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Jeff. I do have to tell you this. You and I don't agree on many things. But, <laughs> but? <laughs> this one, we hit dead on, right? Right. You hit the nail right on the head. This guy should just be banned from sports. If he's going to act like that, he needs to be banned for a lifetime. Yeah. Well, I've, I've officiated for a number of years. Now I do the scoring and timing for a number of games in the area, and conduct like that, I mean, if any coach did that, they'd be, in a, like you say, in a meeting so right. fast that it would make their hair stand on edge. Well, what does it say, What does it say though, that the Adidas gave in to the guy and, 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 and removes the referee at halftime? I mean, I put just as much blame on them as I do with the guy who's obviously a self-entitled jerk. Well, yeah, and I'll take it one step further, Jeff. I won't even buy their cologne anymore. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I mean, I, I just, I just, it's like, okay, what Adidas and, and see, okay, so Adidas, the that runs this tournament, they pull the woman. Then there's this backlash that that's coming out, and so now the only explanation is there was some kind of miscommunication. What the heck does that mean? Miscommunication. I mean, he complained, he stopped the game, he pulled his team off the court. He said unless she was replaced, they would not continue, and they replaced her. That doesn't seem like there's any miscommunication to me. Just saying. Eleven twenty-eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Now this guy, and my my suspicion is this isn't going to be the first, and certainly not the last time that um, we hear from him, generally in a way that, well, I don't know that you want to be defined as the biggest jerk in America, but it seems to me he might. Um, it's 1128. It's 1136, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, as long as we're talking about sports, um, <clears throat> a lot, the Brewers, I mean, I, they're kind of fading, but still they're in second place. Two and a half games behind the Chicago Cubs. Today's the trading deadline and all that. But a lot of attention is starting to turn towards football. And the, the Packers season, you know, UW starts in a few weeks. And, and football, I, I think, you know, it used to be everybody talked about, you know, uh, baseball being the, the national pastime. And we still say that. But, you know, if you judge by TV ratings and interest and stuff, you know, football has probably surpassed that. Now, here's the problem. With, with football moving forward. And I'm, I'm a huge football fan, a huge Packers fan. Um, but let me kind of back into this. I had a um, some some friends of mine I've known for years. Uh, they had a, a their son was a pretty good athlete, good, good, good ball player, played baseball real well, good tennis player, good golfer. Um, his freshman year in high school, one of the area high schools, he wanted to go out for the football team. And the, he was he was actually going to be the quarterback of of the freshman football team. Um, Mom and dad were a little bit reluctant uh, about that. And what happened is in the third game, 
kid took a hit and ha- had a concussion, sustained a concussion. Really bright kid. I mean, this was a, I mean, he ended up, he was a straight-A student. He was a 4.0 student and he's off in college now. But but took a hit um, and ended up with a concussion. At which point in time, mom, kind of being mom, moved in and said, that's it. Um, you know, we're, we're not telling you you can't play sports. And we understand that. You know, you can get injured in all sorts of sports, but we don't want you playing football. You know, one concussion is enough because you, you, you can sustain injuries in all sorts of, of, of sports. Everybody gets that. But the nature of football is, of course, that you have people running into each other as fast as they possibly can and trying to knock each other over. I mean, it, it's that contact. And when you when you think about the brain, and I'm oversimplifying this a little bit, but, you know, the brain kind of bounces around inside the skull. I mean, think about an eggshell with the egg yolk in it. And, you know, as you jostle that eggshell, all right, the, the, the brain, the, the yolk, is kind of moving around inside that eggshell. Well, that's kind of how the human brain is. It's kind of being bounced around inside the skull. Now, I bring this up because there was a study that came out last week um, where the, the families of 111 former NFL players who had passed away had donated their bodies to to science because what they are doing is they are trying to study the effect of of football the the impact the the the, the constant you know banging they're trying to study the impact that football has on on brain injuries and what they found, and again, these are, so it's NFL players who are dead. So, I mean, it's it's sort of a select group. But what they did is they looked at, they examined the brains of 111 former NFL players, and they were looking for trauma. And what they found is that 99% of the brains, 99%, 110 out of 111 all showed signs of this neurodegenerative disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. They call it CTE. But essentially, it's some form of brain damage from, you know, just getting hit, you know, and and landing on your head. Now, um, that's a lot. That's, That's way more than the general population would have. They, they found, you know, evidence of this disease across all levels of play. But, you know, for the NFL, it was almost 100% that they found. Um, so the, the question becomes, you know, where do you go from here? The NFL obviously has, they put in concru- concussion protocols. The equipment, you know, has, has improved. And that equipment approval, like, traces down to the college level and the high school level. But when you think about it, when you think about the nature of the game, like I say, people running into each other as hard as they possibly can, um, you're going to get – there's going to be hits. You're going to get banged around. You know, even if you get tackled, you land, you bang your head. Regardless, there's going to be this type of impact. And I don't know, candidly – given the nature of the game, that there's anything that you're ever going to be able to do 
to to stop this from happening, right? You can you can identify somebody who's had five or six or seven concussions, and you could say, okay, well maybe they should stop playing. But but the nature of the game, no matter what advances you make in equipment, you're, you're probably always going to have injuries like this. And like I say, they find them. They find them in almost every NFL player. Um, they find them in a lot of college players, and they find them in high school players. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, my friend, after her kid got his first concussion playing playing football, this wasn't a knee injury, wasn't a back injury, it was a concussion. And I don't know if it was because of a blow to the head or just, you know, it was he tackled and he, you know, landed and hit his head, had his first concussion. And then she said, enough is enough. We now know that if you play in the NFL, again, I, I maybe... Maybe the number isn't 99 out of every 100, but my guess is it's really, really high because you're going to have people that have been having years and years of sustained contact and this type of stuff. All right, so given this reality that's out there, even with all they do with the concussion protocols and even with the equipment advances, here's my question. Um, what does this mean for football moving forward? Are we all? Are people going to still play football? Would you let your kids play football, or as the game, is it just too dangerous for the players to play? But of course, that's from a fan perspective. You know, you're not going to be paying big money for flag football. I mean, the fans. Love the big hits. I mean, how often do you see you've got the punt return and the punter's back there and he catches the ball and the, the guy on the return team levels him full blast and everybody roars. 414-799-1620. Are studies like this going to doom football? Because either the regulations, government regulations and safety regulations are going to take it out of place or because parents are simply going to say it's just too flat dangerous. Okay, we discuss next. 414-799-1620. And would you let your kid play football moving forward? It's 1143. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By the way, I understand that you've got a concussion risk in all sports and, and you know, soccer. You know, you not just heading the ball, but people going up for the headers and banging heads. I mean, I understand that. Football is a little different, though, because the nature of the game, essentially every play, you're going to have people that are going to be running into each other. Every time, you know, somebody goes to tackle the ball carrier or whatever, you know, you're going to have that type of contact. And I do think it's 99 out of 100 or 110 out of 111 NFL deceased NFL players they examine and they've all got some now different degrees but they've all got evidence of this 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 brain damage as a result of the contact what's the future of this game Zach and Fall River Jack Zach you're on 620 WTMJ good morning yeah, thank you for taking the call sure. it's been a long time since they called in um well I was just speaking with my wife about this the other night and uh, I don't know the exact numbers but it's somewhere around 40 percent of all freshman football programs in the state of Wisconsin have folded in the last three years. Um, that's a pretty good indication that football, as far as a recreation program, is going by the wayside. If you don't have people playing football, I don't know how you have people developing into football players. Um, what, what, do you, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think it's, it's on the decline? Well, parents are being more cautious with their children. I mean, uh, trying to live vicariously through your child so you can relive your glory days at their personal loss is, is not really a smart decision to make. Um, that being said, 
my child is still playing football. Right. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's a good team building sport. I think it's one of the only ones that are specifically team orientated. It's right. not, you're not on an island. It's up for rare situations. Um, another brief point I'd like to make, and I think that concussions are through the roof, and I think they're continuing to get worse, and they're going to get worse, and this is going to be kind of counterproductive, but as long as you keep improving player equipment, making them into more of a weapon where yeah. they don't even feel the damage they're causing on themselves, right? that, that can't be good. Yeah, um, they, right. I mean, thank, thanks. I mean, there, there are some people who, who, like, for example, look at rugby, and and say okay rugby is just as physical but you know you don't have all the pads you don't have like you're talking about that the helmets and things like that and at least some people would suggest you don't have the the, the nature the the injuries in rugby which is just as physical aren't quite as extreme now i don't know enough, uh, enough about rugby to know whether that's true or not but th- this is it is an issue chuck says jeff i told my buddies i don't know if there's going to be football in 20 years or less and i absolutely love the game there's a space between the brain and the skull which means if you um stop instantly uh the the brain will shift um yeah, let's see. Here's another one of our texts. As a college football player and current college student, as a former football player and current college student studying the brain, these kinds of studies are good. However, they're only going to really do any advantage to a selected group of people. These parents that will appeal to are potentially skeptical about the dangers of football before the study came out. Furthermore, concussion protocol in any level of football is kind of a joke. These tests are really easy, and having gone through probably multiple concussions in my lifetime, I can tell you that even with a concussion, you could probably pass what they call their concussion their concussion protocol test. Personally, I will not let my child... Um, play football. Um, however, I don't think these kinds of studies will negatively impact the NFL. Yeah, that's the, again, that's, again I, and I understand, so I'm getting a number of texts from people saying, well, you can have concussions in hockey and basketball and soccer, and you can. You, you, you can. There's no question about it. But, but the nature of the NFL, the nature of football, is that, you know, on any play, you're going to have people slamming into each other, whereas does it happen in baseball? Does it happen in basketball? Does it happen in soccer? Sure, but not necessarily every play. Let's talk to Matt in Beloit. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I I think the, that the sport of football, as younger kids trend away from it, I think there's more and more parents that are seeing the danger that's involved with it. I think, you know, you... As that happens and as those people start to get older and you start to see them and their kids, you, you're going to get away from that mentality of like, well, I played it as a kid, so my kid should play it as a right. kid. And will it impact colleges? Will it impact the NFL? I think no matter what, you're always going to find people that if there's big money there and there's money available, there's people that are going to step in and fulfill that role. So. Right. But of course, but of course, the player. But of course, you see that's it. Because I mean, what what are the feeders? You've got the you know the Pop Warner football leagues that feed into the high school players that feed into college. And I guess that's the question: Will will that dry up? Well, I you know I think there's like in our community there's a an attempt to revitalize some of those youth programs, but I don't know how successful they're going to be. And I agree with you know what you had a previous caller who talked about you know as equipment becomes better that doesn't mean the brain comes to a halt in a half a second a quarter of a second, and so that nature of the program you know if you want to implement some flag football things for younger kids to teach them the actual game instead of the physicality of the game, hey right. that's all fine and dandy but at some point they got to put pads on and we got to start smashing hats together. Yeah, exactly. And that, 
that's the question is, well, how much is that going to impact people? Because I think as we start to see the long-term impacts of it, we start to see people, like I said, that grow older that I didn't play it as a kid because it wasn't safe for me, and I don't think it's worth the risk that's associated right. with it. Yeah, no, thank, and, that, right. And that's the, I mean, thanks for the call. That's, and that's the battle that you fight. Uh, let's see. Here's a text. Jeff, my son is 58 pounds, going into seventh grade. He was asked if he could join. I said he he was asked if he could join football. I said no way. Why? He's one and a half feet smaller than the average seventh grader and almost 100 pounds lighter. Uh, no thanks. Charlie on the east side. Charlie, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. I was just wondering, I mean, for ex-NFL players, is there a financial um can they go after the NFL asking for financial yeah. um, assistance after they've done something that's harmed them, harmed their bodies? You know, is the NFL responsible? And the next would be, what about colleges and high school? Can high school players say, "Hey, look what I what happened to me? This is because I played this high school sport, and it's your fault." Is there a financial, um, you know, requirement from the high school towards the student or not? Well, I, I, there is. It's due. Well, that I mean, I mean, you know, you, Charlie, thanks for calling. You raise an interesting point. Of course, one of the things, one of the reasons the NFL is so tuned to this is there's, uh, there's a, a class action lawsuit that's in the process, I believe, of being settled. If it hasn't already been settled, brought by all these former players who now, as they get later on in life, are finding that they have all these debilitating injuries that are traced back to concussions and, and the brain damage. Now, you know, will you see that against? colleges where you see that against high schools and you know what are the defenses i mean i i don't know but it, but it is i mean this is I, I think it's a huge issue for the nfl not necessarily because right now you have a problem with a pipeline of players although i think that's a big picture problem but it is you know you've, you've got on the one hand on the one hand you want to say well what did you think was going to happen okay you're you know you're you know day in day out you're a 240-pound athlete, and you're running as hard as you can, and you're slamming into some other 240-pound athlete. You know, didn't you realize that there was going to be potentially bad things that would happen? You've got that argument on the one hand. But, um, at the same time, a lot of people are saying, well, we, we just didn't know it was going to be as bad as it is. Th- this, to me, candidly, it's the number one challenge to the future of football. Not today, not tomorrow. And it is, it's kind of like the pipeline. I think it's a serious question. Would you allow your kid to play football knowing what we know now? 